0: So I'm just going to share a few thoughts with you. Now we talked about the five solas this morning, and uh, that was really brought to us through the reformers. And there were other things that the reformers did not reform, and there were other things that they did reform. Um, So the Reformation kind of went wonky in some places, like in England, the Reformation got caught up over reforming the length of the priestly garments, you know. Do you have a fluffy, fluted collar? Or do you have a straight collar uh, on your priestly vestment and so forth? So, I mean, those kind of things were, were not scriptural. And so they didn't endure the test of time for what was reformed. But if you look in the New Testament, the apostles taught doctrine. Uh, that the scripture was profitable for doctrine, uh, for instruction, for correction, uh, and so forth. And, and so the apostles taught... What was right, and the Holy Spirit recorded it in the Bible. And unfortunately, throughout the history of the church, sometimes the church falls asleep. Many times the church becomes unregenerate. And I think if you're going to talk about reforming, uh, I think the Lord was talking to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. ...about some things that needed to be reformed. There were some doctrinal things, like they held to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. uh, They held to uh, the teachings of Jezebel, uh, whoever that prophetess was. And so there were things, even in the first century, that were going haywire with the church. So, for us today to talk about contemporary issues that need to be reformed in the church... I don't think that's all that unusual because the scripture has been talking about that for two millennia, right? And so the the interesting thing is for doctrine, and then it talked about for correction. And that's doctrine is given and taught, and then correction is, well, you're not actually conforming to doctrine, so you need to reform your heart and get it corrected and go back to the doctrine that you were taught. And so Paul told the uh, believers through Timothy to hold fast to sound doctrine. It's very interesting, the word sound means the things that are healthy. So Christ wants his church to be spiritually healthy. Now we live in a day and an age, and I'm going to share with you some contemporary issues where the church should be reformed. Now, I'm not talking reformed as in a reformed liturgy, all right, like a Dutch reformed church or something like that. I'm not talking about reformed theology. I'm talking about making doctrinal changes, areas where the church needs to change. And so I I have several of them uh, that we would go through, but uh, let's all try to say Genesis 1 1 together. In the beginning, God. Created the heavens and the earth. Years ago, there was um, an opportunity for the church that I was in, uh, Cornerstone, up in Pleasant Hill, to uh, have conversations with another church in town. They had uh, eight acres of land and they had five people and it was beginning to fall down on their heads and so we had the people but we didn't have a building so we began to sit down and talk with them and um, the pastor was at retirement age and so he's like okay well let's talk this through and see if something might work out and so as a good pastor he's like well let me see your doctoral statement so i said well that's a good place to start why don't you Why don't we just trade doctrinal statements and we'll go through that and um, so i looked through theirs and it seemed okay i didn't have any problem with it and as he looked through ours uh, he really didn't have any comment except for one thing he said well you in your constitution your doctrinal statement your statement of faith you specifically point out that god created the earth in seven literal 24-hour days i'm like yeah, we believe that. And he's like, well, we don't. And we're like, okay, well, then this is off. All right. So there was something that needed to be reformed in his thinking to bring it into line with scripture. I mean, it's very clear um, that there were seven uh, days in that week, and they were 24-hour literal days. The evening and the morning were the first day, and Talks about sunrise and sunset. Uh, Then you follow that through and you go over to Exodus chapter 20. And we're told to rest on the seventh or the Sabbath day. Because the Lord, when he created, rested on the seventh day. So some Christians have a hard time believing that God is the creator. Now, I, I can understand that. For a young Christian, it's not like one of the fundamentals of the faith that you have to believe to become a regenerate person. I mean, you do understand that, right? But then as you're discipled and as you begin to submit to the authority of Scripture, well then it tells us in the epistles that by faith we believe that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. And so there are some evangelical churches now that are questioning and, it, and by the way, since the uh, the 1920s, this has been a problem amongst evangelical churches, but it's even a, a problem now, uh, that just say, well, okay, we can somehow take evolutionary science and we can marry that to Christian teaching. Well, they're incompatible. And so you obviously have some ministries that... Uh, really do a good job in articulating the Christian creation position, uh, such as the Institute for Creation Research or Answers in Genesis, and a lot of good writings that they've done to articulate that particular position. Um, And really that is what I would say becomes a fundamental of the faith. Is man made in the image of God? Or are we just some freak accident right, that, that took place? So these are some issues that are taking places in our churches today. Um, how many of you saw in the news this week that uh, down in Southern California, a very large evangelical church is in danger of being kicked out of the Southern Baptist Convention because they were going to have women come on staff as pastors. Did anybody of you catch that? Okay, so that's Saddleback Community Church where uh, Rick Warren just recently retired as the pastor of that church. And then the new pastor that's coming in is saying, okay, well, we're going to have women pastors. Well, this is a, a contemporary issue that isn't just impacting uh, Saddleback community or the Southern Baptist uh, community uh, as a whole. This, this goes across the, the different denominations. And um, so what is the evidence uh, for that? So let's take our Bibles and go over to 1 Timothy chapter 2. And we'll look at verses 9 through 15. Alright, right, First Timothy chapter 2, um, beginning in verse 9, the Apostle says this, In like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with godly fear and sobriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but that which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Let the women learn in silence with all subjection, but I permit not or suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over a man, but to be in all silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing, if they continue in faith and love and holiness with sobriety. Now, what's the next verse? It's chapter 3, verse 1. This is a true saying. If a man desires the office of bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, given to hospitality apt to teach. So uh, I'm not going to exposit this text. I'm just mentioning a contemporary issue that in some churches there needs to be a reformation to get back to the simple authority of the scripture that women are not supposed to be the pastor of the local churches. And uh, sometimes when you watch the television You have great women teachers, and they have huge crowds, and they're exercising authority as the head of a church or a spiritual organization, and so God says that's not right, and so the women are not, in verse 12, permitted to teach nor usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence, and so the creative order is mentioned in verses 13 through 15 and also the spiritual order is mentioned in those verses. And then you come into chapter 3 and verse 2, a bishop must then uh, be blameless, the husband of one wife. Well, how can a woman be the husband of one wife? Well, I'm afraid that California has answered that, <laughs> okay? Um, but other places in the nation are, are trying to change what's in the Scripture. So that, that's something that's very interesting. Um, I know of a larger church up in the Sacramento area that uh, lists on their website that uh, they have a women pastor. And uh, it's just, well, that caused some raised eyebrows. And then most people just said, "Okay, that's fine. We're, We're good with that. And so their church went along with that. But that's not what we're supposed to have. And so sometimes that becomes an issue in local churches. Um, Let's go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Here's another contemporary issue in society. But, you know, the church, we're not called to reform society. How many of you understand that? Raise your hand. Okay. We're called to preach the gospel to society. Uh, The world is corrupt. It doesn't need to be reformed. It needs to be regenerated. So preaching of the gospel is the answer. But the issues many times that we find in society filter their way into the church. Uh, Years ago, as I pastored in Pleasant Hill, California, the sister city right next to Pleasant Hill was Walnut Creek. And the first block in was the United Methodist Church. And they had the pride flag on their sign, advertising it on one of the busiest intersections in the Tri-City area there and uh, said, we're a welcoming and an affirming church. Now, they looked at that with a pride of bad, a badge of pride there we go. That wasn't quite a spoonerism, but that was just a Pastor Snowism, getting his words twisted. But, uh, so they were really proud about that. Well, that's another issue that we'll talk about in just a moment, but now... Things are beginning to change. Okay, so there's a passage in Paul's writings that says, "In Christ, there's neither free nor slave. There's neither rich nor poor. There's neither male nor female." And they're saying, "See, in the body of Christ, we're gender neutral. There's neither male nor female in Christ." Is that really what the apostle is trying to teach? Is that God has removed gender? It's not what the apostle is trying to teach in that passage, and so you're going to see it begin to creep into the churches, and the churches then will. You're, you're going to see it coming down through the news. All right. Now, <clears throat> maybe I'm a little unusual in the fact that as a pastor, I check the religion section when I go onto a news website. Right. And I I like to see what's going on throughout the world. And so these things are beginning to creep into the church. But when we come to Genesis 127, uh, this is what we read about gender. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he, him. What? Male and female created he, them. And so God has created gender, and as a Bible-believing Christian, we believe that the differences in gender are complementary, that God specifically made each one to complement the other. And uh, so as we talk about marriage, let's just go down to chapter 2 and verse 24, since you're there in the book of Genesis. This is what it says therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And so gender and marriage they kind of roll into one another. But now you've got churches that are accepting same-sex marriage partners as members of their local church. All right? Well, in society, society has voted and says that's the law of the land and and so forth. That's what society, that's what the world does. But is that what the church is supposed to do? Well, no, All right? But people begin to take what's in society and they like the social aspect of going to church as a civic organization, as a civic group where you can get together with people and try to do good in your community and so forth. And then they come in with these values of um, same-sex marriage and and so forth, and they then begin to bring that into their church. And then it destroys sound doctrine in a church. A little leaven leavens a whole lump, and so then the gospel is no longer preached. Uh, Transformation into the image of Christ is no longer taught. And so all of these things are here, so... Uh, society says that gender is fluid, and that's what their little gingerbread person is, you know. Gender is what you think in your brain. That's not your genetics. It's not your XY chromosome or your XX chromosome, right? And um, so it's what you think you are. Well, that's not what God says. God created gender. God also created marriage. And so society says, well, marriage is just a construct of society. People invented this because it was beneficial to society but we've evolved past that now so we no longer need those old forms of marriage and family to have a healthy society well that's not what God says all right so God says the normative pattern moving forward from the first marriage to the last marriage says therefore A man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife. So this is the normal order moving forward. And they shall be one flesh. So marriage is is an act of God, not a creation or a construct of society. All right, here's another thing that will be coming into the church. And we need to be paying close attention uh, to this one. Let's go to Matthew chapter 20. right, in Matthew chapter 20, there's a parable of the laborers. Jesus starts out in verse 1, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man, that is, a householder, who went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius, that's a day, he sent them into his vineyard. So here's what's taking place. There's property ownership. There's supervisor role and there's the role of the hired laborer okay so they agreed on these terms and so he went about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and he said unto them go ye also into the vineyard and whatever is right i will give you and they went their way again he went about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and he did the same And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle, and saith unto them, Why stand ye here all day idle? They say unto him, Because no man hath hired us. He saith unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatever is right, that shall ye receive. So when evening was come, the Lord of the vineyard saith unto his steward, Call the laborers, and give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. And when they came... "...they that were hired about the eleventh hour received every man a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more, and they likewise received every man a denarius. And when they had received it, they murmured, that means they complained, against the householders, saying, "...these last have worked but one hour, and thou hast made them equal unto us who have borne the burden in the heat of the day." But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst thou not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is thine and go thy way, and I will give unto this last even as unto thee. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with my own? Is thy eye evil because I am good? So the last shall be first and the first last. For many are called, but few are chosen. Now I believe the teaching in this parable is not directly to teach us about labor, all right, but rather Israel, uh, they were the people that had first access to the gospel, and they're going to be complaining about Gentiles being added in and that God is, is saving them, not that we can work for that, okay. But nonetheless, <clears throat> we can make some application. That's not interpretation, but application of this text. Um, what is the view of the property owner? Where, where is that best expressed um, in verse 13? Okay? But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst thou not agree with me for a Denarius? Take what is thine and go thy way. I will give unto this last, even as unto thee. Now verse 15. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with my what? My own. So I think what we have here is a a basic understanding of an economic model. That of property ownership and that of management. And labor agreements. All right, So the property owner can do whatever he wants with his property and his money. But he does come to an agreement with the laborers. They, they agreed to a certain amount, and they went out and they fulfilled that. The landowner kept his word. He kept his agreement. But those that worked only one hour compared to those that had worked the 12, the, the 12 thought that they would receive more. And so they become angry and evil in their heart saying, well, that's not just. So we have a lot of this in society where we look at things and we say, well, that's not fair. All right? And so then we begin to put down capitalism as an evil and property ownership as an evil, okay? And uh, so what we're going to be having problems within our society coming up and then it will be working its way into the church um, is labor agreements and the way that people look at how they're being treated. And um, is, it, is it fair, is it just? And if you've made an agreement, you made an agreement. If The terms of that agreement expire and you make a new agreement, well, then live by that agreement. But while you're under an agreement, be content with what you have. And if you're able to renegotiate it, then renegotiate it. There's nothing wrong in that. But don't complain in between. And um, so this is what's taking place right now in California. And um, we have a very interesting thing that's going to go down here in the next few months. How many of you are aware of the fast food law that was just passed? Are you aware of this law? Okay. So the state of California has entered into the fast food sector And is created a 10 person committee that will establish by the legislature the wages for the fast-food restaurants now the Commission will be formed here in just a a month or two and they're expected to go to $22 an hour as pay for fast food okay well um, I'm not going to get involved in a long deliberation on that but now that's not just going to impact the fast food industry, because people will say about other sectors of the economy, well, look at what they're getting. I should be getting that too. Okay, So everything's going just to, to escalate as it goes along with that. But the whole mentality that is driving this is this is not fair. Okay? Now, I'm not for keeping people in poverty. And I think if the market can dictate that a, that a salary be paid, then fine, go for it, right? But to come in and with the understanding and say, this is not fair. What does that say about the human heart? And so that kind of mentality is going to be trickling into the church. There's going to be trying to be an overthrow of, property ownership and property management and labor laws and all of that. It's all going to come into place and that can come into the church eventually. So watch out for that. Now let's look at one warning that the Lord does give to property owners and to uh, those that have wealth that are paying laborers. Let's go to the book of James chapter 5 and verse 4. So go to the book of Hebrews, and then you go to James. All right, James chapter 5 and verse 4. Here's a warning from the Lord. Behold, the hire of the laborer who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth. And the cries of them who have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. Ye have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. Ye have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. All right, so the Lord does warn property owners and those that are paying and have wealth not to abuse the laborer. So on the other side of that coin that I've been sharing with you, Is there a fault in capitalism that's not regulated by the governance of Scripture? Can capitalism be evil? Well, as a model, probably not as a theory, but the hearts of those involved in the process can become very covetous for the gain and the reward, and that is what God warns about. So there's a warning for both the laborer and the... The manager or the owner and so let's pay attention to that okay um, not to have greed in our heart you know that's the interesting thing about the love of money is that you don't have to have any money to be involved in the sin of having the love of money should I say that in maybe a little simpler way you don't have to have money to be covetous okay <laughs> You can absolutely be poor and be covetous and you can be rich and be covetous. All right, here's another contemporary issue that's taking place. Let's go to Mark chapter 12, verse 17. <clears throat> Jesus answers the Herodians about the relationship between Caesar And God, so they're asking, shall we give or shall we not give? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said unto them, this is uh, verse 15 of Mark chapter 12. Why test ye me? Bring me a denarius that I may see it. And they brought it. And he saith unto them, whose is this image and superscription? And they said unto him, Caesar's. Jesus answering said unto them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's, and they marveled at him. So Jesus here teaches very clearly there's a distinction that you do honor human government. You render to them what is theirs, but then you render unto God the things that are God's. All right, the contemporary lingo, separation of church and state. Here's the problem. We do have definite encroachment of the state taking place into the church. But church, let me warn you. Keep a good spirit about governing authorities. Because they are ordained by God. As American citizens, we have every liberty to try to vote them out. We have every liberty to voice our opinion. And so, as society as a whole becomes less and less oriented to a biblical worldview, the more interference and more conflict that we're going to see between church and state. Just because a state is unjust is not God's blessing to become an anarchist. Did you just catch what I'm saying? I want to warn you about our attitudes. Years ago, when Barack Obama became president, we had an evangelist stand up in our church, and he said, that man is not my president. Well, he's free to carry his own opinion, but just not to spread that in the pulpit, because that man was elected, and he was everybody's president. And so we need to be careful as Christians about our spirit towards governing authorities. They may be wicked, they may be unjust, and they may be infringing. But we need to keep a good spirit. And we need to keep ourselves under authority. And so when they cross the line and tell us that we have to disobey God, then from the word of God, we can stand up and say, no, we're not doing that. And so whether it be right in the sight of God or not, you judge. But we can only obey God. And so we will reach that point. But that's an area that's coming uh, in our society and coming as a church. So let's be careful. We've got an obligation uh, to uh, respect authority and render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. But we also have an obligation to render unto God the things that are God's. All right. Now, in closing... The last reformation that I want to talk about is something that's in the church and it already is. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23. Proverbs 4:23 says this keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life all right one other verse that i would like us to go to is first peter 4 verse 17 and with this we'll close first peter four seventeen reads for the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of god and if it first begin at us what shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel of god The end of the verse is a sobering reality that there is an eternity. And people are dying and going into a Christless eternity. They'll be separated from Christ in the flames of hell forever. Now, what are we going to do about that? Are we going to just say, this is too hard, God, we can't do this? Are we Are going to continue making excuses? Now, I'm not saying we as in Calvary. I'm saying we as in Christians. Now, don't let the Holy Spirit apply this to your heart. But I think Christians in America are asleep. I think it's time to wake up. I think it's time to quit being apathetic and quit making excuses for ourselves. We know that there's a judgment day coming. We know that people are going to be cast into hell for all of eternity. So how does some of that get corrected? Well, it starts right here. In our own heart. In your heart. In my heart. Judge your own heart today. Reform your heart. God speaking to you, directing to you that there's something that must be changed, something where he's not the Lord of your life in a particular area, then get it right. Reform your heart. Have a personal reformation. Just as the church always needs to constantly be looking and reforming and guiding itself by the scriptures, so you too must confront yourself and reform your own heart. And as I was sharing with you some of the lessons that I learned um, about my trip with my dad. There were also other spiritual lessons that I was learning uh, during that time and God was speaking to me and, and uh, governing my heart. And so we need to begin looking at ourselves. We need to understand that we have to keep our heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. And so life... And how we live it is determined by what's going on in here. Thump thump, 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 thump. Every beat has to become a conscious decision to let God govern your heart because that's where your life is going to go, is what's going on inside.